In the name of God, creator, redeemer, and giver of life. Amen. I was passing through uh, one of Christchurch's shopping malls the other day and just about tripped over a bright pink sign that had been put out right uh, in people's sightline and in their pathway. And it depicted a display of designer handbags with large letters emblazoned across it just four words, want it, have it. And then in small print, be in to win one of 10 $1,000 spending sprees. We live in a want it, have it, be in to win kind of world. One of the new words that has had to be put into the Oxford Dictionary is the acronym FOMO, F-O-M-O, fear of missing out. Are you worried that you're not keeping up with the latest technology, fashion or gadget? Many people afflicted by FOMO will spend their money on things that will only bring ephemeral satisfaction, let alone happiness. And how will they justify it? By another acronym, YOLO, you only live once. So I guess that YOLO is just the contemporary version of the age-old refrain, eat, drink and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Well, in today's gospel, we heard Jesus tell a parable of a rich man who was the classic want-it-have-it character of his time, fully engaged in a lifestyle of conspicuous consumption. And then of a poor man, destitute, ill, left lying at the gate of the rich man's mansion, hoping to receive even the crumbs from his overflowing table, perhaps competing for scraps with those very dogs who lick his sores. Then we're told both the rich man and the poor man die. Death is that great leveller. But now comes the great reversal of fortune, so beloved by Luke in his gospel of the upside-down reign of God that challenges all our assumptions. So the poor man is found safe at last and secure in the embrace of Father Abraham, while the rich man rather suffers the torments of Hades. Now, in the story, the rich man is given voice. He calls out to Father Abraham, and for the first time, it seems, acknowledges that Lazarus even exists. Father Abraham, send Lazarus to dip his fingertip in water and cool my tongue. In his lifetime, that rich man was completely oblivious to Lazarus. His wealth blinded him from even noticing him, let alone attending to him. Now, without the trappings of his riches, he finally sees Lazarus. But even then, he only sees someone he can use for his own purpose, a slave, if you like, an errand boy. He's still trying to get what he wants for himself. And Lazarus is just a tool in that, someone he can use. But Abraham will have none of it. Between you and us, a great chasm has been fixed. There was no exchange or relationship between the rich man and Lazarus during their lifetime. Their lives did not even impinge upon one another, even though the message of the law and the prophets should have reminded the rich man of God's concern for the poor and the duty of God's people to care for those who are poor in their midst. So that yawning gulf that the rich man has allowed to grow between himself and those who are poor in his lifetime 
becomes an enduring reality for him after life. No change there. But still he tries to bargain with Abraham to argue from his familiar position of power and privilege and status in society. Well then, send Lazarus to my five brothers to warn them. Now that seems a generous gesture, the first chink in the armour perhaps, that he might be showing some concern for someone other than himself. And yet poor Lazarus is still just the errand boy, the go-between. The rich man still does not talk to Lazarus directly as one worthy of being spoken to in his own right. So he fails to see Lazarus as he really is, an equal child of God, made in the image of God, a brother of his, just like those five brothers at home. Ironically, the rich man is not given a name in the parable. He's a type, a caricature, if you like. Perhaps in his lifetime, though he had been well known, perhaps he was on the rich list or the celebrity A list. But in the parable, the one with the name is Lazarus, the poor man. Perhaps considered worthless by his society, not worthy of knowing his name, and yet known by God, loved by God, with a name Lazarus that actually means God is my helper. Well, our epistle today too is challenging and warns us of the dangers and temptations of wealth. But it also calls us to be rich in other ways, to be rich in good works, generous, ready to share, reflecting the abundant generosity of God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. As we observe at the moment that overflowing beauty and abundance of God's springtime in our city, we've also heard this week that impassioned speech of young Greta Thunberg to the UN Climate Action Summit, lambasting the inaction of leaders and politicians and of those with the power and the money to make desperately needed changes at national and international and multinational levels before it's too late to save our planet. To save those who are most vulnerable upon it, especially those without the resources to cushion themselves from the effects of climate change, including in our own Pacific backyard. But we too need to hear her challenge to us. And that brought to us by thousands of our own young people in this country on Friday this week too. How then will we live? The challenge to us here is not just to share the good things which we have out of our abundance, although that surely is a given in God's economy. Perhaps harder is to be willing to consciously live with less, to live more simply so that others may simply live. So are we then willing to become part of what is being called gen-less, the generation-less, who will seek to live with less, to leave less of a footprint on the world, to drive less, to fly less, to use less plastic and consumables 
And I was as I was driving in this morning, quite a vigorous discussion about should we have fewer pets? Apparently, pet food is 20% of the whole um, amount of food consumed in the United States. Emotional issues for people. Are we willing to live more like our grandparents did? To grow our own veggies, to reuse, recycle, repurpose all those things that we joke about finding when we go through the drawers and cupboards of our parents and grandparents. They didn't waste anything. Some of our young people are making choices to live communally long term, sharing as much as they can rather than all having their own box of gadgets. And they're finding too the benefits again of multi-generational living, of the whole village raising children as extended family, grandparents, children, all generations live together. Now those are pretty challenging questions, aren't they, in a society which also has a great concern for its own security, where we're encouraged to save for our retirement, to look after number one, to fence in our world like the rich man of the parable. And so on the one hand, we hear the advertisers want it, have it, spend now. And on the other, we hear that sober voice of the retirement commissioner, save, secure your future, feather your own nest, look after yourself first. And we can end up feeling caught in the middle between two extremes. Their choices our young people are making, their choices that we are all being called to make on behalf of our planet's future. How can our faith help us in those choices? Our epistle encourages us to learn to be content. Not a word we hear quite so much these days. There is great gain to be found in godliness with contentment. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. We are to pursue not the latest possessions, but rather pursue these qualities, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. These are the measures that we can use. What makes for those qualities in our world? And take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, the life that really is life. So with our vision fixed on those qualities of God's reign, of God's character, we will better be able to evaluate what we really need in this life, to learn what it is to be content in God and in the love of God, which is eternal, and how we will then live the choices we will then make together for all the people of God's world and of this planet. I want to, con to conclude with just uh, a, a phrase, really, some words of the very beautiful in Paradisum of the Requiem Mass. Uh, was often sung at the end of someone's life, but it has a mention of Lazarus and of this Lazarus, uh, and it mentions Lazarus as a brother alongside us. The prayer says this, 
May flights of angels lead you into paradise, and with Lazarus, once a poor man, may you have eternal life. Amen.